0: the number one thing you have to invest in is yourself because that's where you're going to see the most compound growth is if you invest in yourself and you're surrounding yourself with other individuals that are going to challenge you that are going to push you that are going to open up your mind to these sort of things and i know that's something we try to do with one another i know that you push me 100% and you open my eyes to different tools you related this to to kind of like a game earlier and it's like the more tools you have the more likely you're going to be at being successful in this game of Of investing. You don't want to have just one arrow in the quiver. You want to have as many as possible. You want to have teammates that are working for you. You want to have folks that are out there helping educate you and opening doors for you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler
1: Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. It has been too freaking long. Wow, I guess it's been a few months at this point. And, you know, we pivoted from one process, one team, one set of systems to completely other set of systems in the midst of growing a company, in the midst of raising infant twins, in the midst of, wow, moving offices. I don't know. Life has been busy, but there's no excuse. But at the same time, I just want to tell you that I am very thankful to be back. Very appreciative you've stuck around with me. And I know it's been quite a while. Uh, We kind of pivoted in May and now it is September Uh, And by the way, I'm supposed to be introducing you to this episode today uh, where I interviewed my business partner, Brian Flaherty, the legendary Brian Flaherty today had a lot of fun talking about the current economic set of circumstances that we find ourselves in as investors obviously it's very important for us to dive into the dynamics and the crosswinds and the interrelated patterns across the macroeconomic landscape and how that impacts our micro decisions on a daily basis as investors but let's just know that obviously we had a lot of fun in this conversation but also i am just so thankful to be back with you and so i just really want to give you a big shout shout out. And first of all, let you know that I appreciate you, that I've missed you. I've missed being in this hot seat. And now that we've got the appropriate team and systems in place, we're ready to ramp this thing back up completely into another level, by the way. And also, by the way, while we were away, and I know I mentioned in the Elevate podcast is under construction episode that it would take us a few more weeks. And really, it took us more than a few more weeks. It took us probably six, seven or eight weeks from then to really solidify our solution. It just re-engineers my mind how much and how important momentum is, how important, you know, really recognizing that flywheel. When you lose that inertia, you lose tremendous amount of momentum. But when you have that flywheel rolling, it's pretty amazing what you can accomplish. During the kind of hiatus, we celebrated our third year of this podcast. And while there was a bit of a hiatus, as I mentioned, that doesn't mean that it was over. And, uh, you know, really, I think the best is yet to come. And so what I'm here to do today and what I'm here to do on ongoing is to continue to evolve, continue to grow, continue the forward progression. We are coming back out of the gates uh, with Elevate Podcast and we're coming back better than ever. And I think that's something there's something to be said about that because we had a really awesome past. We've had a really amazing history. And if you're just now beginning your journey with Elevate, I encourage you to go check out our library of, you know, over two hundred and sixty episodes. And uh, these are episodes that are done with love and care. And you know, each and every episode requires tremendous amount of hours in terms of preparation, in terms of production, and ensuring that our guests and our topics and the way that we're delivering value to you is done in a respectful way that shows, hey, you know what, you are sophisticated, you are intelligent, you are experienced, you are wise, and we want to do our best to continue to add value to you. So we don't just do this just to plug a microphone in and turn it on and just start chatting away. We do this to add value to you because you're important to us. You're important to me. And in our business, we build lifelong relationships, long-term lifelong relationships. In this podcast, I want to do the same. With you, I want to build a long, lifelong, lifetime relationship with you. And I want to build that trust. I want to earn that trust every single day, every single episode. And you have my commitment to do that. So I'm going to continue to show up and I'm going to continue to have some fun too. Hopefully you get entertained. Hopefully you learn something. Hopefully you walk away feeling something. Hopefully there is some shift within you, some insight, some nugget of wisdom that you can move forward and take your business to the next level, take your life to the next level. Because again, Elevate Podcast is all about mindset that mind expansion and personal development for high-performing, real estate investors. So what does that mean? What is a high-performing real estate investor? A high-performing real estate investor someone who recognizes that real estate is a vehicle towards creating an outcome that we want in our life. That's what it is. It's a beautiful business. Here's the other thing that happens. As we get deeper and deeper entrenched in this business, we learn it's like, man, we love real estate. And sometimes we lose sight of the fact that it's a vehicle because we fall so in love with the process. And I think that is a beautiful thing. But recognize that high performers, they utilize this, this vehicle vehicle for what it is to create and design a life. And I think that the personal and professional development, those are two of the same things. When we grow as an individual, we grow as a professional, we grow as an entrepreneur, we grow as an investor, we grow as a leader. And obviously, that propels our business forward and propels this vehicle forward so that we can design a greater sense of abundance in our life. So high performers, again, are people that are committed to their own personal professional development. And they also recognize what the end game is. The end game is to design a life. The end game is to live a fulfilling life, to make an impact on other people and to do things for the right reason. But it's always to challenge themselves, to push themselves and recognize that, hey, you know what? There is always another level. There's always another level. That's why we continue to raise the bar with Elevate That. That's why I was not okay with mediocrity in the past. And even though it didn't feel like mediocrity in many ways, I just knew there was another level for this podcast. I know there are more and more levels. And by the way, there's no finish line. There will never ever be a finish line. And I'll never come on this podcast and say, Hey, yep, we did it. And we have accomplished all that we need to accomplish. And so we're done. This is a progression. And your life and your business, your day to day is all progression. Each and every day is a new step. And sometimes we take steps in the wrong direction. Sometimes we go backwards, but in the long run, we always continue to move forward. And that's really what this community is about. It's about challenging each other to continue to push forward, to continue to learn, continue to grow, because never stop learning is really kind of woven into the fabric of my my being. And I'm sure it is for you as well, because what we've recognized is that learning, number one, is fun. And number two, it's what helps us propel ourselves forward. It's, you know, learning and gaining more insight and more wisdom allows us to make better decisions, to take more appropriate. Action to take more effective action, and you know it's not just about working harder. While working hard is is a valuable thing, it's about working smarter. It's about being smarter. It's about being more intelligent. It's about leading a greater team. And in, there's just so much to be said about all of this. And I'm just committed to continuing to provide this type of content, this type of a platform for you. So I just appreciate you and I respect you, and I'm so thankful to be back. I'm so excited to be back. And of course, you know I had to bring. Bring my my man Brian Flaherty back on the show because we got a lot of crazy, awesome things going on with our business in CF Capital. And there's also a lot of craziness and you know, some some awesome stuff, obviously, some very challenging things happening in the economy and in the real estate market. Wherever you find yourself, whether you are somewhere in America or beyond, we all are dealing with many headwinds and some tailwinds, depending on what type of real estate you invest in, what type of market you're invested in. And I think it's important for us to dissect this. And to remain open to a dialogue and to talk about, well, you know, what are those headwinds? What are those tailwinds? What are really supporting us? What are pulling us back, perhaps? Or what are creating opportunities? At the end of the day, in real estate, we're all about solving problems. And if we solve problems, we create new opportunities. You know, we're never going to be problem free. It's never going to be problem free. So let's just get that out of our mind. And when we recognize perhaps there's a very challenging environment in the capital markets currently, well, then wait a minute. So, what's that? of opportunities this create you know a lot of people say well pencils down because of factors that maybe they're not aware of or you know there's a lot of changes that they want to see the dust settle before they take action but in my opinion it's to anticipate it's to look around and say okay well what does this mean we're never going to have 100 of the picture so let's take action let's take bold action with wise counsel surround ourselves with great people who can help us make sense of this but also not miss that window of opportunity so with that said i am your host tyler chesser I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar. By the way, guys, if you don't mind, share the episode. That's the fee. I just ask you to share this episode with a friend, someone else that you appreciate. We recorded this episode a few weeks ago uh, as we were ramping up this flywheel. Most, if not all, of this conversation is extremely relevant for today, September 2022. And it's also timeless. A lot of this stuff is very timeless. So whether you're listening in today's environment, it's instructive for how does the current set of circumstances apply across history, but how does that help us propel forward? And a lot of the stuff that we talked about today is extremely timeless. So I want to encourage you, no matter when you are listening to this episode, to share this episode. Um, That also helps us extremely very, very much. And we just appreciate anybody who shares the episode. So please do that. And also. Also give us a rating and review and follow the podcast because ultimately we're going to continue to bring the heat and we've done so for three years. And guess what? We're just getting started. So with all that said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this phenomenal conversation with the great Brian Flaherty, the legendary Brian Flaherty. Welcome back to Elevate, my friend. What is this the third time? I don't know how many times we've had you on the show now third, fourth, we're losing track, man. It's all good when we're having fun. That's exactly right, man. I was telling you, I think we're spending too much time together. Both, we were at a meeting earlier today with one of our vendors, actually our property management company that, that we work with. And you sent me a text of another sort of actually a different podcast we were both listening to. And I love that we're now talking on a podcast on Elevate podcast together. But I'm like, dude, we're hanging out too much. Obviously, as business partners, you're sending me the exact podcast I'm listening to. But what do you think about all that? It all comes full circle my man. I
0: mean, not that other many people I can send a podcast that another economist is geeking out on and
1: name dropping our city on. So of course you were the first one that I thought of. I know it's just, I just laughed because I'm like, man, we are two peas in a pod. But you know, I told you the other day, I'm just having so much fun because, you know, we're building our business and it's not all easy, right? It's, it can be very challenging at times. You know, there's, there's obviously good things that happen on a day-to-day basis. There's bad things that happen on a day-to-day basis, whether it's with properties, whether it's with partners, whether it's with technology vendors, whether it's with processes, procedures, good, bad, you know, there's a lot of things in our control in our business as we continue to acquire more properties, optimize those properties, reposition those properties, execute on business plans. There's a lot of good stuff that happens. There's also, you know, a lot of stuff that's really out of our control and, you know, in a good and a bad way, you know, and, and a lot of times you know, that comes down to economics. It comes down to, hey, what's happening from a bigger picture. And I think you and I have just become just absolute no nerds on this topic because of, of course it impacts the way that we're reading the tea leaves, the way that we're making decisions as investors, as entrepreneurs, as business owners. So I thought it might be appropriate for us to have a discussion around those factors, you know, things that are in our control, things that are out of our control, how we're reading the tea leaves, how we're making decisions in a world where you have crosswinds in every different direction. You have a war in Ukraine, you have interest rates rising, you have inflation going bonkers, you know i month-to-month basis, when we were told at one point in time it was transitory, you have global instability, whether it's socially, whether it's from a income perspective, wealth gaps, you have supply chain issues, you have labor, things, that, you know, employment that's really rapidly changing, whether it's in the United States, in a certain region, or, or so on and so forth. And, you know, a lot of these factors, you know, some of these directly impact us, some of these indirectly impact us, some of these don't impact us, or some of these are like, man, these are extremely important. I know you and I, we just had a huge acquisition about three weeks ago that we closed on. And so many of these factors were playing a role into the day-to-day sort of up and down roller coaster of that acquisition. And of course, this is a long game. So we read the tea leaves and we understand what's happening on a day-to-day basis. But we understand that, you know, in the long run, it's about, well, what does that long-term horizon look like? So I wanted to dive in the weeds with you today and talk about all these things and really kind of gain insight further. I want to share this with L.V. Nation, because I know that Elevate Nation is thinking of the same thing. So they're thinking about, well, you know, how does interest rate volatility, how does inflation impact the way that I'm investing my capital, the way that I'm elevating my life? And then I want to wrap up and talk a little bit about financial intelligence, because really, if you take even a broader step back, I mean, look at all this stuff. It is about what do we know about how money works? how it's flowing to us, how it's flowing through us, how it's flowing through these type of investments. And ultimately, to me, this is very exciting stuff. But what do you think about all that, my friend? I don't even know where to begin after that intro.
0: I love it. The macro environment right now, to your point, there's so many, you said it the right way, crosswinds, summer headwinds, summer tailwinds. But we, as multifamily operators, we have to have what I would call a finger on the pulse on all these. I might challenge you a little bit. You said some of them affect us, some of them don't. I believe all of them touch us one way or the other because we're in the people business and our people, whether it's our residents, our partners, our vendors, whoever it is, people are being affected by every one of those things that you mentioned earlier. So I almost liken it to driving across the country and we have to see the full map. We have to have the roadmap. We got to know where we're going, what could affect us. What's the weather like ahead of us? Is there anything on the horizon we need to be aware of? If we don't know all those macro factors, we're essentially driving across country with nothing but our headlights. That's not a way to do business the way we do it. That's not a way to operate in our environment It's certainly not a way to be stewards of capital from our investors. So I think not only is this something that we're, we're both very passionate about, but it's something that as a multifamily operator, you have to know these things. You have to be aware of them because if you're not, you're going to get blindsided and there's going to be a tsunami that just wipes you out by one of these factors if you're not paying attention.
1: It's so true, man. I love learning from people who have been there for many years, people that have had a lot of success operating within these crosswinds. And, and I've shared with you recently that I, I really, recently read Ray Dalio's most recent book, The Changing World Order, The Principles for the Changing World Order. And I highly recommend it because it puts so much of this historical context into further you know, current context. And and history does not always repeat itself, but it rhymes in many capacities. And what he actually brings into the mix is like this movement of evolution. It's like societies and really financial markets and all of these things. Really, if you look at human evolution from a biological perspective, it also integrates within economies and within the systems of those Economies. And we're talking about big debt cycles and how does that interact with societies and governments and world, you know, sort of uh systems. And I think it's really interesting because you know, I think about inflation, you know, that's just really the front page headline day in and day out, it seems, or it has been really for the past six months, especially. And I look back two years into the rear view mirror and I think about what happened in 2020, and obviously that was when COVID hit, and we had this massive influx of new capital that was injected into the system. In fact, if you really look at it, and I believe this is correct, about 40% of all of the money supply was created at that point in time. And so really, if you look at it and it's like, well, you know, are we surprised by the level of inflation that we're looking at right now? I would argue to say that I'm surprised that it's so low in comparison to what was injected in the economy. You can apply some common sense to what we're looking at here and you can understand, well, what are the factors at play? If you look back even further, look back to 1971 when really the United States defaulted on its promise to peg the dollar to gold. And ultimately, we've seen tremendous inflation ever since then. And we're talking about 50 years in the rear view. But I think it's important to recognize this stuff. And so today, we're seeing, you know, obviously, responses from the Federal Reserve today, literally today, it's July twenty seventh, And we're seeing the Federal Reserve raise another 75 basis points in response to the level of inflation. You know, a year ago, they're saying, hey, this is transitory, you know, come on, this is uh, no big deal. And, you know, they signaled to the economy that said sort of winter time this year or last year, hey, 2022, we're gonna be raising rates pretty significantly. I think a lot of people said, well, we'll see what happens. You know, they're sort of backing up that promise. So what is your estimation of these events, whether it's with inflation, interest rate, volatility? I mean, how do you see this? I know you and I talk about this all the time, but I I want you to share your thoughts with Elevate Nation. Yeah, sure, there's a lot to unpack there. First, you started that segment
0: off with talking about Ray Dalio's book. There's another book out there that I would recommend and for listeners as well, The Fourth Turning really kind of details almost like different seasons and the different generations and how one generation influences the other and the byproduct of the generation before them. And it really is fascinating that history doesn't repeat itself, but there's a rhythm and a rhyme to it. And a lot of people, they couldn't foresee what's happening now, but they could peg that something would be happening, something like the current events would be happening at this time. So I think that would be a really interesting book. And I know that's one that you and I have discussed at length in the past, but as it relates to inflation, you know, you're right. 40% of the money supply being injected to the economy, and I think it was in 18 months. It's like, you have to believe that amount of capital is going to change things one way or the other. Simultaneously, decisions that were made essentially shut off our supply chain. So you have this scenario where you have boatloads of money coming into the economy, but the amount of things, the amount of widgets per se being withdrawn. So you have more money, in less stuff, so more money chasing less amount of goods and services. It kinda comes down to economics 101. In my book, you know, that we had to see inflation. It had to show up in higher prices that if you're putting that much more money out there chasing fewer and fewer things, it's inevitable what was gonna happen. So I think one thing that, it's almost odd to me how much we're, it feels like we're overlooking it, or at least the media presence isn't focusing on the supply chain issue or just the fact that we need more, the way to solve inflation is it more money? And they seem fixated on, let's give more money to solve inflation, which is probably only pouring more fuel onto the fire. What we need is more stuff. We need to open up the supply chain route. We need to be able to be delivering more widgets into the economy. And if anything, reduce the amount of capital that's out there to slow down that inflation.
1: You know, it's interesting. And I think about it. So we could obviously zoom all the way out and look at this from a global macroeconomic standpoint, which is important. I think we need to understand these factors. We can also zoom. In and say, all right. Well, you know, you and I are we're real estate investors, we're real estate entrepreneurs. Most, or if not many, of the listeners, I I would argue that probably ninety five percent plus of our listeners are real estate investors, and they're thinking about these patterns. They're analyzing these patterns, similar to how you and I are. They're saying, well, how does this impact my investments? How does this impact my portfolio? How does this impact the outcomes that I'm looking to seek as an investor? And of course, you know, ultimately, when the Fed raises rates, that impacts the way. That we do business. That impacts whether it's existing deals, future acquisitions, it impacts the way that we're making projections on business plans in many different capacities. So, you know, the things that have happened really over the past couple months, especially with the Fed in terms of raising federal funds rates, you know, which then in turn have impacted the way that, you know, lenders are lending us money, is highly impactful, good and bad, right? I think, you know, especially from a multifamily standpoint, I think about, you know, our acquisitions. And of course, we think about, well, is our leverage, negative? Is it positive? You know, is this leverage, you know, is this enhancing the return on investment or is it detracting from that return on investment? And also how does this impact our end user? And some of the things that I think you and I have been looking at is, well, okay, we need to adjust perhaps the way that we look at financing these deals, because look, you and I have said this constantly. It's like our lenders are our number one partner in these deals. I mean, you know, whether we're financing our deals at 60% leverage, 75% leverage, they're still our number Number one partner in these deals. And it significantly impacts the way that we look at them. So, you know, from one end of the spectrum, it's like, okay, well, you know, obviously we've got to make adjustments in terms of whether it's, hey, is it floating rate? If, is it a value add deal that makes the most sense for us to floating bridge debt on it? Well, okay, well then what does it look like to cap that interest rate? And obviously those pricing has been crazy to say the least uh, over the past six months plus in comparison to where it was this time last year, especially. And then also, how does this impact? let's say we're you know we're buying a, a stabilized deal you know what does that look like and then at the end of the day mortgage rates for home buyers are shifting as well. I mean, that's the other piece of this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because, you know, I, we get a lot of investors and, and folks will invest with us in our deals. And they ask us, well, let's say, well, wait a minute, you know, isn't this all bad news because interest rates go up? That means that maybe our yield goes down. Well, you know, it's not always bad news. So could you talk a little bit about why that's not always bad news? Yeah, with all these, you can't
0: isolate one variable and say this is all good or this is all bad. To your point, with rates going up, yeah, that will likely cause our cost of capital to go up as well with the rising debt prices. What that also means in turn is to your point, housing goes up. But I think from the single family world, everyone's probably pretty aware that it's been red hot recently. We've got an affordability crisis across the nation from a macro perspective and houses were already too expensive. You're now raising interest rates, which means folks monthly payments are going up. And you got to understand from a single family standpoint, most people aren't solving for the overall price of the home. They're solving for what is their monthly payment going to be be. Well, to buy the same home, it's likely more expensive today than it was six months ago as the start of the year. So what that actually does is then pushes people to either A, stay at home, to find roommates, whatever it so be, whatever it happens to be. But a lot of those folks go to the rental pool. And so now there's an increased amount of renters out there. And in the rental community, there's we're also undersupplied nationwide. So we have this interesting dynamic where our cost of capital is going up, but most likely the amount of renters is also on the increase, therefore creating more demand for rentals. We don't have enough rental units across the nation, much less market by market, submarket things like that. So it's actually therefore then driving more rental rates up as well. It, it kind of gets back to supply and demand, exactly what we were talking about with the inflation standpoint, where you think that raising interest rates are going to kind of slow things down from the housing standpoint, but really it's, it's almost pouring more fuel onto the fire here as well. The Fed's in a tough spot because if they keep rates where they are, then the overall price of the homes is likely going to continue to go up too. So it's a, again, like we talked about earlier, there's crosswinds, man. There's crosswinds everywhere. Some are headwinds, some are tailwinds, some negate one another and cross one another out. But at the end of the day, you have to take that macro view and marry it up to the micro environment that you're working in, living in, investing in on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And you think about the fundamentals, ultimately what you're describing are the fundamentals of these assets. I mean, that's what we really need to pay close attention to because when you have a long-term viewpoint, Point, as an investor, you know, we have to look at the asset itself. And of course, the capital markets right now couldn't be more volatile. Frankly, they could not be more volatile. But when you think about the fundamentals, they couldn't be more solid of multifamily real estate. They could not be healthier. And you think about occupancy, you think about rent growth, all of those factors, you know, you were talking about supply and demand. What we're talking about is either stagnant or, you know, in some cases, you know, very slow growth supply and tremendously growing demand as a result of mortgage interest rates rising, construction costs rising, not only construction costs on single family homes, which is keeping that supply where it is, which is undersupplied significantly across the country. And of course, this is all, every market is unique. Every market is specific, Uh, but the same is the case for multifamily. I mean, a lot of times, like we just bought a deal for $90,000 a door. You cannot build these things for $175,000 a door. So there's inherent value in the investment. And there's also the fundamentals of the asset. Now, why While our, you know, let's say cost of capital has risen as a result of some of these factors, you know, in the the debt markets, our fundamentals of the asset has grown as well and has improved as well. And that's been white hot. I mean, over the past couple of years, it's been like rent growth has been tremendous. We're seeing in some cases in our portfolio, 30% rent growth. And I know there's some markets in the US that are even doing even better than that and have done better than that. And of course, it's all again, deal by deal. But I think these are the factors that are important for all of us to pay attention to. But is there anything else that you would add to that, Brian? Yeah,
0: I don't think you can undersell how volatile the capital markets are right now. You said the most volatile they've been in a while. I mean, technically, the Fed hasn't raised rates like this in 30 years, and then they did it in back-to-back months. So it is an unprecedented time. Literally, it has not happened in decades. But to your point, it doesn't feel like there's a safer place to be than in the multifamily investing community because of those fundamentals that you talked about. And then to peel back layers even more, you talked about how, or I talked about how under we are from a single family home standpoint. Well, builders can't build anything for first time home buyers. To your point, construction prices are going up for them to make things pencil. You know, they're still only building ultra high end and luxury kind of, you know, second, third, larger family homes. The thought of the three bedroom, one bath starter home is it can't be built. It can't be built without some sort of incentives. And then in today's environment, there's a lot of the not in my backyard folks that, you know, layer onto not just single family, but our multifamily space as well. So all that just further and further strengthens the fundamentals. And to your point, we're seeing them real time in our portfolio. And we pride ourselves on being pretty conservative. But my goodness, like seeing these double digit renewal rates, like not even new leases that we've rehabbed, but for folks just stay in the same unit that they've lived in for years at a time, it just further strengthens those fundamentals that we see in the multifamily space.
1: It's all fascinating. And it's all informative as we continue to make decisions, right? I mean, this is a decision making, we get paid on decisions and, you know, we don't always have every piece of data or information to say, Hey, you know, a hundred percent of the case, you know, is going to be successful here, but we know how to mitigate risk. I mean, I think one of the things here is we don't know how far interest rates are going, right? We don't know at the end of this year. I mean, by the time, you know, maybe some of the listeners have listened to this podcast, they may be chuckling saying, Oh gosh, these guys were worried about a 75 basis point increase when now we're at 13% or something or it could be totally opposite. It could be the other end of the spectrum. So give yourself the opportunity of receiving those gifts on either end of that spectrum. You know, one of the things, of course, we talked about is purchasing interest rate caps if you're doing bridge debt. I mean, one of those things, I mean, it looks like we, we bought an interest rate cap a few weeks ago and it was a significant cost. However, it gives us the comfort to say, you know what, if we still have a hawkish Fed and if we still if were seeing that for a serious amount of time, well, we have certainty on the cost of capital at the max. And so, you know, instead of saying, all right, well, let's save that cash up front, we're making that investment and we're protecting, we're mitigating that portion of the risk, right? There's so many different angles of mitigating risk on deals. But this is one that we've been hyper focused on right now. And so I think it's really, really interesting to see how this is all playing out. But the other side of it is, hey, you know what, we could be going in the other direction as well. While inflation, you know, in many regards, early 2020, mid 2021, I think many investors are like, hey, inflation, come on, this isn't so bad. (laughs) You know, it's like you're writing cap rate compression. You're, you know, obviously you're making an investment and your deals are trading for tremendous, you know, higher prices, you know, very, very shortly thereafter. And so many investors were looking at this saying, hey, this is all good, but we're talking about construction costs, obviously labor costs, all of these things, utilities, energy is a big deal right now. All of those things are changing. But the question is, all right, well, where is that going? How is the Fed intervening? What are capital markets doing as a result? And so we're players in this game. Frankly, this is a game. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside, without all that, the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. And so the question is, are we entering a recession? Are we in a recession? And if so, what does that mean? So I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Brian
0: yeah we try not to follow the media on a day-to-day basis we try to make our own judgments our own decisions i know that there's a lot of talk that we're not in a recession and you know even talk about what a recession is defined as is it seems to be changing on a daily and weekly basis it feels like we're already in one if you look at all the macroeconomic factors and how the is technically detailed that presents a lot of risk to us and and you mentioned earlier that there is always risk the one thing that we know is we can never eliminate risk in investing there's inherently some sort of risk what we try to do is minimize the downside of said risk, whether that be interest rate caps or the way that we're acquiring deals at, you know, different basis, things like that. So that is the one thing that each and every investor should know is when they go into any sort of investment, is where is the risk? Because every investment has some sort of risk to it and try to minimize that downside and minimize your blind spots or where your risk is there. But as it relates to a recession, you know, it does feel like we're there. Again, it it plays into multifamily with some from an investment standpoint and operation standpoint, there's some tailwinds to it. There's some headwinds, like we talked about earlier. The rent growth is there and feels like it will remain there and elevated above maybe the historical 2 3% growth for some time. Along with that comes increases in other things like our expenses. I mean, we've seen it real time. Thankfully, we are achieving these higher rent premiums to offset some of the increase in expenses that we have. I think the key question is how long does this recession last and what's the depth of this recession. Obviously, no one, neither of us, no listeners can peg that. But with that, we have to marry that up with how that affects our residents, our vendors, and we have to make sure that we are properly servicing, you know, our residents and keeping an eye on, on that rent growth because it's only going to be able to run so high at some point. We have to make sure from a macroeconomic standpoint, we're watching that. We can't exactly we can't anticipate 10, 15, 20 percent rent growth in perpetuity. So again, getting back to recession, if feels like we are in a recession proof, not resistant, but just we're guarded more from recessions in our industry based on the fact that all individuals need three things, food, water, and shelter. We're providing the last one of those things. There's also, we keep talking about this massive influx of capital out there right now. The weight of the money that's out there right now continues to pour into our space. I think there's a lot of ways that that's going to affect us. The increase in the debt costs are going to be offset by some lenders just swallowing some of that spread, meaning our all-in costs won't track directly to what Fed fund rates are doing. And you've got a lot of other individuals out there that'll say, that's fine. Inflation's running hot. You know, I used to want a mid-teens to high-teens return. I'll take 12. I'll take 11. I'll take 10. Anything's better than sitting on the sidelines in cash. And then if you further back up, Tyler, you're talking about a macroeconomic perspective. There's a lot of big-time money. I'm talking to the big institutional players, the sovereign wealth nations. They're looking around and they're saying, Where do I want to be invested? Do I want to be invested in Russia? Probably not. Do I want to be invested in parts of Europe like Germany right now? Probably not. But you know what the U.S. is? It's more of a safe haven for those folks. It's them protecting their downside protecting their risks that we talked about earlier. And all that kind of has more or less a trickle down effect to us on the ground floor on the main
1: street level. Yeah. And I'm glad that you kind of brought it from that big picture all the way to the main street, because I think that that's the appropriate way to think about it. And you were kind of really describing our business as being somewhat recession resilient. And I think one of the things that we talk about on Elevate so much is being resilient in terms of as an investor, as a human being, as an entrepreneur is being emotionally resilient, being resilient to the ups and the downs of your experiences, your interactions, you know, not only from a mindset perspective, but in the way that you expand your mind and the way that you engage in personal development. So I think all of that is critically important. And I also think it's really interesting how those patterns can be sort of weaved in in your understanding of your own personal development with how you're growing as an investor and how your portfolio is evolving through these changing times. And, you know, I also think about a recession from the standpoint of, okay, well, yes, there's all of these, different factors from the capital market standpoint, from global trade, from energy prices, from inflation, all of these different factors. But ultimately, the way that I look at it is on the ground floor. It's, well, what can your tenants withstand? Because yes, we've seen historic rent growth over the past couple of years. You know, when when I think about multifamily residential real estate or, you know, large multifamily investments. And so the question is, well, what will our tenants be able to withstand over the next few years, maybe the next year or two? Let's say that we have a recession for a couple of years. Who knows? None of us can really predict how long, if we are in a recession or if we are entering one, how long that will withstand. And one of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, the way that kind of a back of the napkin way to describe a recession is if your neighbor loses his job. It's a depression, however, if you lose your job. And so, you know, it's really interesting when you bring it all the way down to that standpoint, whether you are a renter in an apartment community, whether you own a home, whether you're a renter in a home or or whatever, these things things impact individuals. And obviously our tagline is elevating communities together. So it's not lost on us that a recession is a very painful experience for many people across the economy. So we're not here to take advantage of anybody. We are here to read and understand what's happening. And so how does that make us, you know, be more resilient in this type of scenario? And so the question is, okay, at the end of the day, we're looking at occupancy. We're looking at NOI. Frankly, at the end of the day, we're looking at, well, how healthy are our assets? And depending on these factors, if our tenants cannot withstand any more rent growth and the market is not demanding it, well, then we're going to have to make adjustments. So it's about being flexible, but we're not there yet, but who knows we could be. So as we're underwriting new deals, you know, the question is, well, are we banking on, you know, this historic rent growth to continue or are we making adjustments? I mean, how do you think about that stuff? Because, you know, it's, it's very difficult to project. You know, I know we talk about this constantly. It's like, well, where will exit cap rates be in a few years? And we're, you almost, we're licking our finger and putting it in the wind and saying, well, which, which direction is it blowing? But how do you think about all of those different nuances and trying to make predictions? It's not about, hey, what's certain? It's about probabilities perhaps, but I'd like to hear your thoughts there.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, first off, it's defining and, and analyzing trends and getting an understanding of where is occupancy more importantly, or as important as where are collections? I mean, we can have people living there, but they got to be paying at the end of the day. And I think something that in our space we have to be focused on is wage growth. And where is wage growth nationwide, regionally, in our local markets? How is that keeping up and offsetting with inflation? Because it certainly feels like that's been inverted for quite some time now because it doesn't feel like wage growth is hitting the 8, 9, 10, whatever percent you want to peg inflation at. Having that understanding too and engaging with your residents and getting an understanding, I think a lot of it goes back to the very beginning when you're when you're signing residents up for your community is ensuring that you're properly underwriting them. Them. I mean that's what our property management team does is they underwrite the residents and they qualify those residents and they ensure that are they employed but they're making a certain amount above and beyond you know and making sure that that rent is affordable typically we're qualifying everyone at 3 to 4x the annual rent number that making sure that they have that income to support that so I think those are things that it comes down to just analyzing those trends making sure that you're staying current with what's happening in the current submarket from a an occupancy standpoint but then also, keeping your finger on the pulse on wage growth to ensure that you have the right residents in the right communities who can withstand any sort of headwinds in the, in their own personal lives.
1: That's such a good point. I think ultimately it all comes down to job growth. It all comes down to you know job sort of opportunities at the end of the day so when you're evaluating anything like well what's the leading indicator that leads to the lagging indicators and and that's a leading indicator that's a key performance indicator when you're evaluating a market it's critical to understand well what's going on in terms of this overall economy and how does that impact the health of your investment which then leads into sort of the risk profile of that investment which you were talking about earlier in terms of certain capital saying well wait a minute you know I needed perhaps mid-teens IRR previously you know now I may be willing to accept, you know, sort of low teens or even 12, 13%. That's right.
0: We try to look at some of our, I would say, colleagues, some of them from an institutional standpoint and follow those market trends. I know internally, one thing we always say is, hey, we want to buy communities that are next to Starbucks and Chick-fil-A because I know those folks are out there working with economists. They're doing their homework. That's why our last acquisition lies less than a mile from both of those retailers. And we say, this is a strong market. Not only are we seeing folks like that going in, but you've got brand new Class A construction Construction going in next to you. All of the malls around there are full. You've got new office jobs coming to that submarket. It's really having a boots on the ground understanding of not only the market, but that specific submarket. Because to your point, I mean, our residents follow jobs. I mean, that's what we we have to have jobs. And if it's a if we look at a market and we see jobs going the opposite way, then we're going to be much less likely to be investing our money, our capital, our, our investors' capital into that sort of market.
1: Tell you what, man, you know, the reason why this business is so fun is because it's so- So dynamic. There's so many different moving parts. But instead of getting caught up or overwhelmed by the noise, we just surround ourselves with great people. I know you and I we've we've just become so fond of this who not how mentality. We surround ourselves with great partners, we surround ourselves with great vendors to help us execute. We don't suggest that we know everything, but we continue to learn, we continue to surround ourselves with other people, we continue to take action. And so I think ultimately the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is to really share this thinking with Elevate Nation because I I think that there are some insights here that can be applied not only tactically and sort of evaluating what's going on from a bigger picture, but also conceptually as we apply this thinking in a continually evolving environment. You know, this economy is not static. You know, these set of circumstances will be vastly different in three months, in six months, in three years, in four years, six years. But ultimately, the strategy and the application remains the same. It's about how are you interacting and how are you evolving? How are you adapting within that environment. One of the things that, you know, you and I talked about recently was, hey, change is the only constant. There's this really, really simple book and it's called Who Moved My Cheese? And, you know, it's like these two little mice that are in a maze and they're they're going to the same spot every single day and they're eating their cheese and life is great and they're getting fat and happy and this is amazing. One day they go there and they're like, where is this cheese? Well, who moved it? You know, like, where is this thing? And one of the mice just stands there and just banging his head against the wall. He's like, I don't know. It should be here. This is where it is. And the other one says, you know, a light bulb goes off in its head and says, well, wait a minute, somebody must have moved it. So let me go and find it. And I think that that is almost a metaphor for what we do each and every day like the cheese keeps getting moved and so the question is well all right you know how are we evaluating this maze and what strategies are we implementing to get to our outcome at the end of the day we're looking for an outcome and we have to keep evolving throughout that process what do you think about that i think that's why we're so passionate about learning and it's also having just
0: a defiant commitment to your results i think it was adam grant that says you know the imposter syndrome is that someone can look at something and say i don't know what i'm doing. It's only a matter of time until everyone else finds out. However, the growth mindset looks at that and says, I may not know what I'm doing, but I'm going to find people that do. And it's only a matter of time until I figure it out. And we really embody that. We look at our vendors, our partners, and we say, hey, you are the gold standard in your niche. Let me surround myself with you. Let me be humble enough to say, I don't know everything. Help come in, help partner with us, help educate us. And we'll learn something in the process. You'll learn something in the process. And it's just that having that, that defiant commitment and that passion for learning.
1: And I think if you're an investor, whether you're active, passive, both, you know, maybe you're dynamic in many different regards, you've got to find groups that are willing to continue to evolve, continue to learn, be humble, and have the abundance mindset. Whether that's CF Capital, whether that's someone else, you know, that's my only suggestion is go find people who have a similar mentality that are willing to do whatever it takes to continue to grow. And when something surprising happens, they're Saying, okay, how interesting. Maybe we need to evolve. Maybe we need to adapt. That's the first thought process rather than woe is me. I'm the victim and I'm out of the game. So I think that's critically important. But I also think, you know, as we continue to grow, I mean, one of the biggest things I just think to thrive in today's economy, tomorrow's economy, in the next many decades, it's all about financial intelligence. It's all about not only, of course, understanding the nuances of these investments. And I think there's a tremendous level of financial intelligence that's required to make proper decisions from an investment perspective. But I think it's also it's questions like, you know, what what questions are we asking ourselves? What questions are we asking our partners instead of, hey, I can't afford this or, you know, we can't, you know, bring that team member on or we can't apply that system to our business because we just don't have the money. It's how can I afford this? You know, I mean, like that, like just a foundational basic question, it puts you in the world of possibilities to say, well, then if that's true, then what would that look like? Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I mean, that's something that it was a monumental shift in
0: my thinking when you just change those little words around and say how can i not i can't but how can i and it opens up the possibility for you and it invites you know the possibility to come into your life and you said that you know the only constant is change i think we're in the most dynamically evolving and changing market that i can ever remember that i've seen in my life lifetime and it's almost like either change and evolve with you know your particular industry or you as a person or you're just going to get left behind and, and crushed. And it's like the old dinosaur mentality is what I always go back to, but it truly is. It's like either either you're going to get wiped out or you're going to evolve, you're going to change, you're going to thrive alongside all that change. And you have to have that willingness. It's, it's not bend, don't break, but it's be flexible and understand what's out there, what's on the horizon. You don't just keep driving in a straight line, going back to the map metaphor we talked about earlier, understand what's coming, understand what's on the horizon and pivot accordingly.
1: And I think ultimately that's why personal Development mindset, mind expansion is so critical. I mean, like that's the foundation of all this. When I think about financial intelligence, again, that's another foundational practice. It's about understanding. First is about observing what identity am I showing up in? What is my identity or what identity am I, you know, really leading with? Because, you know, we all have multi-facets of our personality, but I think ultimately the question is, well, hey, what do I believe that I'm worth? Or what do I believe about myself? And once we start to kind of dig into that, and this is a really deep part of the conversation that could we could spend hours and hours on. But if we go back and we start to observe, well, where did certain beliefs come from? We start to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, is that serving me or is that limiting me? And as investors, we may not even be aware of this about how much this is impacting day to day, moment to moment decisions, because we may say, well, you know, this deal isn't right. You know, the economy is going crazy and it's going, you know, the Fed's doing this, that and the other. And, you know, I don't know about all this stuff and it's a recession, so blah, blah, blah. But really what could be happening under the surface is we don't believe that we're worthy of more success. We don't believe that we have the capacity to navigate challenges, or we don't believe that, you know, we're worthy of greater success. And, and so to me, it's like, well, wait a minute, if we start to ask ourselves questions about, well, wait a minute, what would be the opposite? Or what would actually serve me? What sort of thought process would serve me? And we start to align with that. I mean, that to me is something that I think that you and I, you know, we're obviously continually growing through, but how important is identity to to you in terms of those little questions or those little micro decisions on a daily basis? Yeah,
0: I don't think you can understate it. And it gets back to people's limiting beliefs. And unfortunately, those get hardwired into a lot of folks early early on. And I know as a father of young children, it's something that we're conscious of on a daily basis, making sure that we're not planting those seeds of limiting beliefs on our children. You asked a question earlier, or you talked about it a few minutes ago, and it's, it's like, yeah, this could happen, and that could happen, and we've got all these things going against us in the world. And oh my gosh, what if we fail? It's like, sometimes you got to ask yourself, what if we don't, what if we don't fail? And the other side comes to fruition and like, oh yeah, what, you know, we, we could lose this money. What if you 10 X your money and what does that do for you? And what does that do for your, your family and your loved ones? And how can you go impact further change on the community? And I know we, we talk about that in our business decisions. We say, well, what if we, we make this decision, this potentially negative thing could happen or this phenomenal thing could happen as well. So it's kind of flipping that dichotomy around and ensuring that we're not just, I mean, human beings are just hardwired that way. I mean, it's from thousands of years of evolution to say, oh, you know, oh God, this saber-toothed tiger could eat me. And that's to get very primal with it. And it's almost like an unwinding of that clock. And sometimes that we have to look at things and and look at the, and say, what if this positive thing
1: happens here? And there's always another level. Once we start to ask ourselves, well, what if the opposite, opposite were true, we start to recognize, well, wait a minute, maybe that world of possibilities does exist. And we put ourselves in that world of possibilities. It's like, well, if I try, I might fail. Well, if I try, I also might succeed to your point. I also might 10X or I might might also 100X my position of today. And so that is a foundational practice. But then of course, there's strategies. When we talk about financial intelligence. There's many strategies. I know you and I were talking the other day about infinite banking as an example. I mean, it's not like a product that we promote or anything like that, but it's a, it's an endeavor and it's a strategy that we are employing in our personal lives. And we're looking at perhaps employing that at a certain point in our business that, you know, because the power of uninterrupted compound interest when compounded on itself is just, you know, it's the eighth wonder of the world. But when you think about financial intelligence, whether you're running a business, whether you're running a portfolio or whether you're just trying to set your future self up in a greater capacity than where you are today, or you have a vision for your life, this is critical. And so these questions, this idea, Identity, this construction of this inner dialogue is up to us. And to me, it's like, oh, are you serious? It's up to us. So wait, wait a minute. So now we're in the world of possibilities of ten x a hundred x, a thousand x, right, or more. So then, what happens? Now we apply strategy. We apply tax mitigation. We apply risk mitigation, like we were talking about on interest rate caps and you know the, the construction of our team and all of these different things. We think about cash flow, right? We love cash flow in this business. Of course, that's what we look for, but we also look for long-term equity appreciation. You know, so how does that apply to our financial intelligence? We look at leverage. You know, I know folks like Dave Ramsey will say, "Hey, get out of debt, be debt free." Well, guess what? That's limited thinking as far as I'm concerned because there's good debt and there's bad debt. Of course, there's bad debt. You want to get rid of 27% APR credit card debt that's piling up you know, negative compounding interest all over you, of course. And there's so many other strategies when it comes to building teams, building tools, applying technology, and just continuing to learn and grow. So I just wanted to make sure that we at least wrapped up the conversation and really talked about the power of financial intelligence because as investors, as people, there's always another level The cool thing about this business, it never gets boring. The cool thing about money, about economies, about all of this stuff, it never gets boring. It's always a moving target, but the constant is ourselves. The constant is growth. The constant is learning. The constant is having conversations like this, being willing to learn from someone else. But is there anything else that you would say about that, Brian?
0: Yeah, this is all about mindset, mind expansion. We talk about investing. Well, the number one thing you have to invest in is yourself because that's where you're gonna see the most compound growth is if you invest in yourself and your surrounding yourself with other individuals that are going to challenge you that are going to push you that are going to open up your mind to these sort of things and I know that's something we try to do with one another. I know that you push me 100% and you open my eyes to different tools. You related this to to kind of like a game earlier and it's like the more tools you have, the more likely you're going to be at being successful in this game of investing. You don't want to have just one arrow in the quiver. You want to have as many as possible. You want to have teammates that are working for you. you want to have folks that are out there helping educate you and opening doors for you. So it all gets back to your limiting beliefs, investing in yourself and surrounding yourself with other individuals that are going to share those beliefs and and that are going to push
1: you and expand your mind as well. I love that. I'm so glad you said that because there are these levers, you know, we talked about debt being leverage, but there's levers in terms of network and relationships and even just ideas. Listening to a podcast like this can be leverage, right? This can be open in your eyes to something that, well, wait a minute, you know, now I needed to hear that. Now I needed to realize that, well, wait a minute, here's what I've been missing out on, or here's what I haven't been taking action on. And, you know, it may just hit you at the right moment. And so, you know, one of the things I know you've done is a great job of is just continually expanding your network, investing in whether it's masterminds or group coaching or even coaching and all these kind of things. So, you know, to your point, the constant is we've got to continue to invest in ourselves, continue to grow, you know, go to conferences. You and I have a a really busy second half of the year in terms of our conference schedule. And I'm super excited about it because of the people that we will meet. And when you think about financial intelligence, you know, of course it's about applying strategy, but sometimes it's about opening yourself up to new networks, new ideas, new opportunities. And man, there's so much more that we could really say about that. But I think, you know, man, ultimately for you and I, being, you know, sort of growing our team of CF Capital, growing our portfolio, if people want to reach out, all they have to do is just go to cfcapllc.com. We have tons of resources, free resources. We have an ebook, you know, it's about increasing cash flow and multifamily investing. Um, sort of what that looks like in terms of some of those strategies. So if you want to go deeper on that stuff, you can. If you also want to join our community, you can do that as well. And by the way, this is more than just, you know, access to investments while that of course exists. And there's never any pressure for anybody to participate alongside our team. But we do this thing every single year where we have an investor day where investors literally join us from every corner of the country. And uh, we have not broken the, the boundaries of the United States just yet in terms of our attendance to this, but I would imagine that will happen soon. But if you want to be plugged into a larger community of people who are abundance minded, people who are actively, you know, growing their own financial capacity, their own financial intelligence, this is a phenomenal group. And it doesn't cost you a dime, like literally join this community because we're elevating communities together. I think it's amazing. But man, thank you, Brian. This is so much fun, man. What do you think?
0: Thank you. And thank you, Elevate Nation. Like you mentioned, Tyler, just find your community, find your tribe, invest in yourself and continue to expand that tribe. Because I know one thing we always say is there's no finish line in this. There's no finish line in business. There's no finish line in life. Like you're never going to wake up one day and be like, that's it. I'm done. I've achieved everything. You shouldn't wake up that way. Continue to find ways and to find those communities, those tribes. Come be a part of our tribe and let's
1: all go out and elevate communities together. Never stop growing. That's it, man. What a fun conversation. I'm sure we're going to have five, six, seven, whatever. I don't even know what number we're on together now, Brian, but appreciate you joining me. Elevate Nation, I'm so thankful to be back in the saddle. So thankful that you came back to, uh, to listen to this awesome conversation. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate.